You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The preaching this morning will focus on the book of Genesis. Let us begin by reading Genesis 1, the verses 1 through 5, and then also from Colossians chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then let us turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 15 through 20, where the creation is again described, but now from a different perspective. Speaking now of the Son of God, our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." text this morning is Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Brothers and sisters in our Savior Jesus Christ, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are perhaps the most well-known words of the entire scriptures. Many people know them off by heart. This God who created everything is our Father. Even as the prophet Malachi says, have we not all one Father, did not one God create us all? Now, there is a story, there is an idea out there which is radically different than what the Holy Spirit tells us here in Genesis chapter 1. The idea is that the earth is our mother. You will hear it, you will read it very often. People refer to Mother 
nature. And at first you might think that, well, this is just a way that, that people talk. But actually there is a whole mythology along with a whole philosophy behind it, and it's called Gaia philosophy. Gaia is simply a Persian word mixed together with a Greek word, which means the earth, she is our mother. And this whole Gaia philosophy is very much involved with the whole environmental movement, with the talk about greenhouse gases and global warming and climate change, and you hear it all every week again. So the idea is basically this. The earth, she is our mother, that makes us children of the earth. And if we are good and if we treat our mother earth well, she will be good and kind to us in return. But if we mistreat our mother, the earth, she will be angry. She will punish us. Hurricanes, tornadoes, global warming, and melting ice caps. Now this whole Gaia idea gets the genealogy wrong. Brothers and sisters, the earth, she is not our mother. God, he is our father. And our God is not married to the earth. That's absolutely absurd. And therefore, as children of God, our Father, we listen this morning to what He reveals to us about the very beginning. God, our Father, created a home for us, which is the earth. We will look at three things. First of all, in the beginning. Secondly, water. Water everywhere. And finally, the Holy Spirit also. Right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that the earth was not just always, always there from eternity. No. The earth has a start. It has a beginning point, which is what the Lord speaks about in our verses this morning. That is also true, then, for the heavens. Now, at times when Scriptures speak about the heavens, then what is meant, what the Holy Spirit is speaking about, is the sky, the place where the birds fly and the clouds float. In fact, later on in this chapter, you will read about the heavens in that way. But in Scripture, the heavens can also refer to that whole realm that we cannot see, that invisible realm where the angels dwell and where God has his throne. And this is what the Holy Spirit is speaking about in Genesis 1 verse 1. This is also what is revealed in Colossians chapter 1, that there is a whole invisible realm, the heavenly realms, which we cannot see, but that realm too had a starting point. And best that we know, this then was also when God created the angels. Now, when God made this starting point for the earth as well as the heavens, He also created time. 
The beginning is the beginning of time itself. This is clear. If you look at verse 5, there was evening and there was morning the first day. Oh, brothers and sisters, first is first. There is no days before the first day. This is the first that God is speaking about. This is when God creates time, which means that our God is not bound to time. He created it. He's sovereign over time. And this makes a huge difference. For us, as human beings, we simply cannot turn back the clock of time. Sometimes we we make a big mistake in our life. Really foolish mistake. And you think about it and you say, Oh, if I could just turn back the clock of my life and just erase that day and, and do it all over again. If I could turn back the clock of my life to my youth and do things differently than I did ten years ago, I would do it in the drop of a hat. But we can't. No matter how hard you might like to do it some days, time marches ahead. Time has you in its grip. And if you ever try to arm wrestle time, you'll lose every time. But time does not have a grip on our God. Rather, our God, our Father, has the grip on time. He's stronger than time is. There is this saying, time heals all wounds. It's not true. It's a lie, as a matter of fact. What is true is that sometimes over time, the pain becomes a little less. But usually there's a scar where the wound was. And for some wounds, no matter how long the time is, they stay open. They fester. Time heals all wounds? No. If you have experience in this life, you know that's simply not true. But this is the gospel that is already coming. The good news from Genesis 1.1. Our God can do what time cannot do. Because our God is so much stronger than time is. God can heal all wounds. Some wounds He heals in this life. Some wounds He will heal in the life to come. But unlike time, God will heal them all. And this great all-surpassing power of God also shines forth in the fact that He creates out of nothing. God did not take some pre-existing blob, some kind of primordial play-doh, and shape it and mold it into the earth. No. 
there was nothing. No dirt, no air, no oxygen, no hydrogen, no iron, nothing. And then God created the heavens and the earth, and there was definitely something. This is your God, brothers and sisters. This is your Father. This is the one for whom the status quo is not sovereign. Think about it for a moment. Before the beginning, in eternity past, there was nothing except God. That was the status quo. Nothing except God for an eternity. Now, if something is the way it is for, let's say, 60 or 70 years, we almost give up hope that it will ever change. For instance, if there is a certain man who's afraid of heights, he's been afraid of heights all his life, since he was a little boy. And do you expect now that when the man is 75 years old, that suddenly he's not going to be afraid of heights anymore? You say, no, it's just the way he is. It's not going to change. And so often in life, brothers and sisters, we give sovereignty to the status quo. And we say, that loved one of mine, she won't repent. She's been stuck in that kind of lifestyle for such a long time. That's just the way it is. It's not going to change. Or for your own sinful difficulties, temptations that you have a difficulty with, and you say, well, I know I have a problem with anger. I, I blow up very easily. It's just the way I am. It's not going to change. From Genesis 1.1, I put this question to you, brothers and sisters. Who has sovereignty? Status quo or God? For an eternity, there was nothing except God. And then, in that moment of the beginning, He changed it. And there was really something, heavens and earth. Status quo doesn't have control over our God. Father has control over everything here below. And this is why we also sang, you sang from Psalm 51, create in me a new heart. Same word as Genesis 1. God could do that. And if there is a beginning, as there clearly was, then there must also be an end. The two go together. Like there's heavens and earth, is beginning and end. And so, already here in Genesis 1-1, the Holy Spirit is sending us in the direction of the end. For at the end of Scripture, in Revelation chapter 22, both the beginning and the end are clearly spoken of. Revelation 22 verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, here is not only spoken of the beginning and the end, but now it becomes personal in Jesus Christ, the great I Am. 
When you read Genesis 1, you do not read the name of Jesus. That's obvious enough. But when you allow later scripture, Colossians chapter 1, Revelation 22, to shine the light back into Genesis 1, you see that Jesus Christ was fully involved in the beginning. This is what we read, Colossians chapter 1. He is before all things. All things were created by Him. Not only that, all things were created for Him. And in Him, all things hold together. Christ is the source. He is the goal. And He's the center of all creation. And the Son of God is busy taking things from the beginning, the Alpha, to the end, the Omega, and He's not going to fail. He's working on reconciling all things to Himself. Colossians chapter 1. It's true. Things have changed since the beginning. Creation is not what it once used to be. The sky is groaning under the weight of pollution. The earth does crack because of drought. Sometimes the bears go hungry and the seagulls get stuck in an oil slick when an oil tanker sinks. It's not the way it was in the beginning anymore. But brothers and sisters, know this. The Son of God is still in control, moving all things forward to that glorious end when things will even be better than the beginning. And this is such a completely different message than what the prophets of Gaia are going to tell you. You can't get away from this philosophy, even if you've never heard of the word Gaia before. It's in your face every week again. And it comes across as very frightening. There's panic in the air. Global warming. And if we don't get together as a global community and do something now, we're doomed. That's the message. The ice caps are melting. And if we don't get all together and do something now, whole cities are going to be wiped out. Do you hear the emphasis? If we, if we don't get all together, it's hopeless, doomed. It's the end. We're finished. If the children of Gaia can't get their act together and quickly, then the mother gasps and dies. This is what our children are growing up in. This sense of panic everywhere. And there does not have to be a denial that creation is groaning. The book of Revelation is clear of it. It's not as if the prophets are Gaia are the first ones to realize that creation is groaning. You can read that from the Apostle John. 
Revelation speaks about widespread devastation of trees. Think of the pine beetle. It speaks about the death of many fish in Revelation. God has spoken about these things for centuries, but it's not all doom and gloom because what we hear is that even though creation is groaning and yearning for the end, the Son of God who was there at the beginning is going to make sure that the end comes too. And it's not an end of utter doom and darkness and gloom. It's a bright and glorious end. It may be dark and difficult to get there, but the end is the new heavens and the new earth. You see, actually, the earth is not a person. The earth is not a she. The earth is simply an it. It's a place. It's a place, a home, that our Father made for us. And in the beginning, when God first started His work of creation, that home was formless and empty. Verse 2. Those same words come back in Deuteronomy 32, where Moses is speaking about the people Israel. It's a different context. God is speaking about the people in the desert. And then in the Song of Moses we read in verse 10, In a desert land he found him, meaning Israel, in a barren and howling waste. See, that's how it was in the beginning. The heavens and the earth were uninhabited. There was no one living there yet on the first day. But it was also uninhabitable. The condition of creation on the first day was such that it was not yet ready for man or beast. Now that does not mean that on the first day God kind of made a mistake and he made his first attempt but it didn't turn out so well. No. What God did also on the first day was good. But it wasn't finished. If an earthly father starts building a home for his family and he takes the first step and and gets the hole dug and the cement foundation planted, you may stand there and look at that new home that's being built, and you say, oh, look at that, that's not fit for any family. It's just a foundation. There's no protection from the wind or the rain. And that's true. But the man's not done yet. He's just starting. It's the same with the Heavenly Father. At first, it's not fit to be inhabited yet, but he still has to do more things before it's ready. And that's what God does, step by step. He puts this in place, that in place, this in place, until it's all ready for his children, Adam and Eve, to move in. And the first thing that he concentrates on is water. You know, when children learn about the six days of creation, and I think it's part of almost every grade one kindergarten curriculum, They learn about the first day of creation. What happened on the first day of creation? Children will say, light. God created light. That's correct. But we too quickly skip to verse 3 and forget 
that in verse 2, God created water and lots of it. The deep means the deep, deep waters. Even scientists understand how crucial water is for life. They send that uh, robotic rover to Mars. And this rover goes all over the planet sniffing for water. Because if they can only find water, then they hope there might be some sign of life. Well, our father knew the necessity of water long before there were scientists or robotic rovers. Do you know, brothers and sisters, how much water there is on our home, the planet Earth? The astronauts go up in the space shuttle, they look down, and they all say, so much water down below. Three-quarters of the surface of the Earth is actually water. Some of those oceans, Atlantic, Pacific, go straight down the deep, They go straight down 10 kilometers. And the best estimates that scientists can come up with is that there are 1.3 billion cubic kilometers of water. We're not talking about cubic meters. Cubic kilometers. 1.3 billion of them, brothers and sisters. That is a lot of water. But our father knew what he was doing. Plants need a lot of water. And if there are no plants, there are no food for his children. Animals need water. And if there are no animals, then those animals cannot work for his children and they cannot serve as food for God's children either. The children themselves, us, our bodies, are 65% water. And if it were not for these huge, fast, deep quantities of water, do you know how the temperature of the earth would soar up and be blistering hot and then dive down and be freezing cold? Those oceans serve an enormous purpose in keeping the temperature of our home somewhat stable so that it can be inhabited. If God didn't put 1.3 billion kilometers of water, cubic kilometers of water, the temperatures would be so up and down, it would still be uninhabitable for us. You see, water for washing, water for transportation, boats, barges, Water for steam, water for ice to chill things. Water is such an enormous part of our life that when anyone wants to move to a new area, it's the first thing they do. Where's the water supply? Is there a river? Is there a lake? Do you see the wisdom of our Father? On the first day, He has the sixth day in mind. He knows He's going to create Adam and Eve and all the children that will come from them. And so with those children in mind, he puts an enormous water supply in place. And no sooner does he put the water there than he sends his Holy Spirit 
to hover over the waters. That same word, hovering, again comes back in Deuteronomy 32, where the Lord now describes an eagle. Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. And he says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them on its pinions. When an adult eagle is training the little baby eagle to fly, those baby eagles are not so eager to go out of the nest. It's a little bit scary. So the adult eagle has to flap, move its wings to kind of shoot the little baby eaglets out of the nest. But that adult eagle does not just shoo them out of the nest and then say, there you go, learn how to fly. No. The adult eagle goes out of the nest too and hovers right over those little baby eaglets. And as those little baby eagles, with their tiny little wings, are flapping and flapping furiously, trying to stay and negotiate the currents of air, if they're getting tired and they're not staying up, that adult eagle swoops down, carries them up on its back and brings them to the nest. Now that is a picture of how God, our Father, takes care of creation. God does not, so to speak, push the heavens and the earth out of the nest on the first day and then say, there you go, earth, now take care of yourself. No. Immediately, no sooner has he created all that water and the Spirit is right there, hovering over it to take care of it. And if the Spirit wasn't there, it would all fall apart. Now, the prophets of Gaia continue to say, it's all doom, it's all black, it's all bleak, if we don't do something. This creation is the creation of our Father, brothers and sisters, And for that reason, we should take the very best care of it that we can. Not because we're panicking, but because we want to honor our Father, who gave us such a beautiful place to live and to take good care of it. Having said that, the Father who created it is the Father who still controls it. He's sovereign. His Son is the one who's taking it from the beginning to the end. And the Spirit of God is right here taking care of creation. Not only the water, but we'll sing it from Psalm 104, the whole creation. Now, listen to the difference. The prophets of Gaia say, global community, you've got to do it, or we're doomed. God says, I, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit am in control taking all of you to the new heavens and the new earth. The difference is clear. And let's be thankful. Our Father is in control. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.